Hello to all my beautiful listeners and welcome back to the podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you for listening. You are in for a real treat. It is mid-fall time and that means we are deep in the shadow and it is time to explore mid-fall. It's time to explore shadow. I have some incredible um, myths that I've researched for you guys, as well as diving into Scorpio. And I will go into what shadow is and what shadow work is and why this is relevant right now. When we talk about going into the depths, when we talk about um, the, the birth, death, rebirth cycle, and this can be kind of a sensitive territory for some people. So I just want to let you know to go in with a, um, go in knowing that you might need support during this episode. And if, and if you feel that it's too much, I just invite you to turn off what you need to and to tune into what is actually happening within you. And, um, so yeah, with that being said, I hope you enjoy this episode Sacred Springs podcast, a podcast where we explore the wisdom of earth, spirit, and the wisdom within. I'm your host, Melissa Grace. Shaman of the Shadow. It's midfall. Everything is preparing for death, or winter, rather. Leaves are falling, and the cold has arrived. This time of mid-fall, the veil between worlds, that of life and that of death, is thin. Samhain, Dia de los Muertos, Halloween, these are all observances of the thin veil, the portal between our world and the world under, the underworld. We see it in nature. Nature is starting its inward descent to winter. And in winter, everything is dormant and dead, or at least it seems. This inward descent paves way for life to start anew. This is the cycle of life. Death darkness, shadow, with the days growing shorter and the nights growing longer, the fears 
all we have shoved under the bed and into the closet makes its way out. The tales of Halloween can be scary and sometimes literal, but there's a deeper meaning there. All that is in the shadow, the unprocessed psychic debris that we have been unable to process and integrate and face is making its way to the surface to be integrated, alchemized, and transformed. Shadow work is the process of intentionally shedding light of awareness on the darkness within, integrating it, clearing, and cleansing to make way for a new creation. Shadow is that within our subconscious. It's our patternings that we're unaware of. It's those parts of us we can't or don't accept. Triggers, emotional patterns, these are all determined and controlled by our shadow or that which is outside of our conscious awareness. Facing the discomfort, processing the trauma, alchemizing shadow has profound effects on our behavior and our patterns in life. The inward journey isn't always an easy one. It takes courage and a willingness to be uncomfortable. It also requires the capacity to handle what arises. And that is a skill. Not everyone has it. And so when addressing and facing shadow work, we must keep this in mind. It takes courage, it takes a willingness, and it takes the capacity to face the shadows. On the other side is literally new shapes, new forms, new ways of being, new abilities to show up in life, new wellsprings of creativity. What is waiting for you to be created on the other side of shadow? The shaman is not merely a sick or madman. He or she is a sick man who has healed himself. Terence McKenna, The Invisible Landscape, Mind, Hallucinogens, and the I Ching. The shaman is a person 
who walks between worlds, the shadow and the light, the living and the dead, this world and the other underworld. A strong archetype in this season, when the days are becoming shorter and the nights are becoming longer, we are all asked to become shamans of our own internal sorts, to walk in our inner world and shadow and bring it to life, to metabolize it, to alchemize it, transform it, and integrate it. Imagine a world where the leaders and people were intimately connected to the cycles of nature. The people and leaders have looked within and examined their own shadow. And they have integrated their own shadow. They have metabolized their shadow. They have transformed it. And they stand on the other side, vibrant and ready to create. Imagine a world where you too do this. So what is the definition of transformation anyway? It is a thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance. When I looked up the definition, there was a definition for so many different areas. Mathematics, biology, physics. There was a long list. And so transformation obviously has something deep within the recesses of our psyche and our primal beings. We see transformation everywhere. One of the coolest definitions I found was the the physics one, the induced or spontaneous change of one element into another. And this is more like the traditional alchemical Definition of transformation, turning lead into gold. In Latin, transformation or transform is split into two separate words, trans and forme. Trans means across or beyond. And forma means form or appearance. Together, these bring about caring from one place to another to change in composition or structure. Transformation and alchemy are deeply related words. 
Alchemy is a fun word and it actually came from Egypt. Uh, Kema was used to, re- to mean like black earth or black sand. And potentially that is referring to the black sand in the Nile. Egypt was a mecca for esoteric knowledge and actually esoteric knowledge that really influenced Western thought. Alchemy, its Western lineage comes from hermetics. And again, alchemy was the term of trying to change lead to gold. called to undergo transformation from conception to birth to growth to our creative endeavors in life to processing and healing into death and after death compost we are constantly in a form of transformation of alchemy The nature around us, it's always changing. It's always transforming. Things are always alchemizing. We have to embrace that this is actually a part of who we are as well. In order to function the ways that we want to and show up the ways that we want to and really embrace what magic is, we must embrace alchemy and transformation within our own lives. An incredible teacher of mine and inspiration is the process of compost. Waste decays, transforms, and creates life anew. When waste isn't allowed to decompose, both physically and metaphorically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, It putrefies, creates toxins, infections, and creates toxic gases. I think about composting your food at home versus sending your food to the landfill. We have found that when we bag our food up in impenetrable, virtually impenetrable plastic, we tie it off, we send it to a landfill, That food produces 
tons of methane and off gases, greenhouse gases. But when we take that waste instead and we compost it, we have rich soil for the next generation of plants and food for all. Within, we have to process and integrate death. And this isn't just physical death, although that is a part of it too. It's about the death and pain and decaying material within our own psyche, within our own emotional body. If we do not process and integrate, it will putrefy and become toxic. You see this in triggering, in emotional patterns. We all have seen it within ourselves and I know we've seen it within other people because sometimes it's easier to see it in others than it is ourselves. It's something all humans are called to do. All beings on earth are called to this process of transformation. And through compost, we can learn so much. Our journey now takes us to the story, or one of the stories, of Lilith. Now, many of you might know her name and think, ooh, isn't, isn't Lilith a demon? Or a demoness, rather? The answer is kind of yes. Maybe, potentially. In this story, we'll kind of unpack one of the versions of stories of Lilith. Such a dubious goddess, demoness, human person. She has a history wrought with varying degrees of nastiness and shadow. Also, potentially some harrowing rebellion going on. I won't be sharing the full history of Lilith, but I will link a great article in the show notes for those who are interested in kind of the more full take on Lilith. But I'm going to go into her more modern-ish history. And by modern, I mean the last five to six hundred years. So this myth and folklore comes from Jewish, Judeo folklore. Now, the story of Lilith is something that maybe I first, at first glance, would have typically associated with Aquarius. She's a rebel, she doesn't want to, she wants freedom, and that's a very Aquarian theme. But when I heard this story recently, I was like, whoa, this is shadow right here. 
I was struck by the level of symbolism to our own exiled and shadowed parts. In these more recent centuries, like circa Middle Ages, her tale developed from a baby-eating, man-luring seductress to the first wife of Adam. You know, Adam and Eve in the Bible, the creation story. Yeah, that Adam. Yeah. Adam was made from Earth and Eve was made from his rib. We pretty much, I think, all probably know this story since it is the main creation story of our day and in our culture. Eve was considered to be made from Adam and she was therefore inferior and made to be subservient to Adam. This was a demonstration of the hierarchy of a wife submitting to the will of her husband. So this story is very patriarchal. I mean, come on, it's like, I find it really interesting to think like a man who created this story or a group of men, men over generations, were kind of like jealous of women's ability to actually carry and birth humans because it doesn't make sense to have a woman be made from a man because we all know women carry babies, women birth babies and women feed them from their bodies. Wouldn't it be more like the man was made from the women's rib since technically Literally, it is the woman's body who create these cells. According to this folklore, Eve was actually the second wife of Adam. Yeah, plot twist. Lilith was number one, and she was made from Earth, just as Adam was. So she was equal, or so she thought. God and Adam wanted Lilith to submit to the will of Adam. Adam insisted she also be on the bottom sexually because that was her rightful place on the bottom. It was her wifely duty to be on the bottom. Lilith is really not having this. She insists that she is equal to Adam and made from Earth. But after many moons and much pressure, she ran to the Red Sea. Lilith in this tale just wants to breathe, to live, and uh, she wants to live her life without the insistence in Adam and God that she's inferior. She's like, oh, fuck off, I am not inferior. God gets a little angry because he wants Lilith to return to Eden. And Lilith is like, <laughs> nope. Apparently Lilith was just this like incredibly fertile woman and she had hundreds and hundreds and thousands of children. God's like, fine, if you don't return, I'm going to start killing a hundred of your babies a day. 
And Lilith is like, oh, no, he didn't. First off, I can't return. I can't trade my freedom. I can't live in captivity. So she starts killing babies. She's hurt. She's angry and pressured under the force of God, literally the Almighty, to become something hideous and dangerous. She is associated with illness and murder and sexual depravity. The obvious themes are the, the, the matriarchy versus the patriarchy and like the patriarchal way of like women are on bottom and women are submissive to their husbands and women, that's where women belong. That's not what I'm here to talk about today. I'm here to talk about the deeper symbolic level. We see what happens when we exile our pain, when we force ourselves into shapes that are not in alignment with our highest truth. Things get freaking ugly. When we exile parts of ourselves to shadow, we have those parts begin to lash out, to putrefy, to defile. At least that's what it seems that they're doing. Lilith teaches us that on a deep level, living fragmented has severe consequences. There are so many pressures from ourselves, from others, from society to perform and act in certain ways. To not really value ourselves and to... put parts of ourselves in the closet to exile them to the Red Sea. And that when we're wounded, we must go and hide and separate ourselves. When we're wounded, when we're hurt, that the separation must occur. Our shadow says, honey, I will make hell. No matter how many of my children you kill, I will terrorize the world. So in this story, the pressure from ourselves and others and society, those are God and Adam. Our shadow is Lilith. So Lilith represents our shadow or the parts of us that we exile and make to live somewhere else. We need to be able to integrate this authentic self. And our authenticity does lie in integrating our shadow. There's this toxic positivity culture that happens that's like, you know, only be positive, positive vibes only. And it, and on a certain level, like, yes, there. There is a social responsibility, but on another level, so many of us have undergone tremendous amounts of pain. 
and are witness to tremendous amounts of pain and have betrayed ourselves for others, have betrayed ourselves because we were told that is how we need to act to receive love, to fit in. And that's just a whole load of bullshit. This brings us to our next order of discussion with Scorpio. Scorpio is gets a pretty bad rap. I think Scorpio's every time I, you know, not as bad as Gemini, I think. But Scorpio's like, oh, they're intense. Like, ooh, they're, yeah. Which, I mean, when you are the sign of transformation... There's a reason you get a rap for being intense. I, however, happen to really love Scorpio. I know some, a lot of Scorpios actually, and I know their minds are so beautiful. They're so deep, and I just really appreciate that depth and that willingness to go there. So Scorpio's archetypes are the shaman and the alchemist. Fancy that I went through the alchemist and the shaman for this episode. And the word for Scorpio or the key for Scorpio is I create, which really alludes to what the purpose of Scorpio is, creation. So it's in the eighth house. It's traditional symbol or traditional planet is Mars and its newer planet because Pluto was only discovered recently is Pluto and it is a fixed water sign. So the symbol is similar to Virgo. It's an M with a an arrow pointing out and Virgo is an M with at the end, it's drawing inward. So both are um, processes of transformation, but Scorpio has a more active dynamic force to it. Now, the seventh house was Libra's house, and that ruled relationships, as we discovered last podcast episode. The seventh house is intimate partnerships, And the eighth house is what comes from intimate partnerships. So I create children come from intimate partnerships and um, exploring our inner depths come from intimate partnerships. I don't know about y'all, but the relationship with my husband has been one of the hardest and also the most rewarding. He triggers me to no end and also supports me to no end and It causes me to look within and to really make the shifts and changes needed to live more wholesome and more within my own truth. So Scorpio, of course, is a threefold sign. 
the death, the rebirth, and the life. And Scorpio actually has three animals associated with it. The death, which is the snake. The rebirth, which is the phoenix. And life, which is an eagle. So we descend into the shadow to ascend into spirit. Scorpio also teaches us what we need to clear and detoxify. And we need to clear and detoxify that which is not in alignment with the truth of who we are on the deepest level. Again, Scorpio rules the processes of transformation. Compost is within Although I would say compost is actually within Pisces as well because it's mystical. Like there's this mystery to rebirth. There's this mystery to life. And both Scorpio and Pisces have this mysterious quality. But um, Scorpio is really about like, like embracing the mysteries of life. As a hospice nurse and just as a nurse in general, but more in hospice because in hospitals, it's not able to really connect with this part because it was a little traumatizing. In hospice, I am able to see just how freaking mysterious death is. We welcome in these people. We get to know them. They're here. They're with us one moment. And then the next, they're gone. And is it is so mysterious. That is the only way to explain it. Death, life, the rebirth, the processes of compost. It is a mystery of epic proportions. Scorpio also rules depth sex, but the creation that goes along with it, pleasure, purging, releasing, reemergence, and where our creative processes are created. In Leo, in the fifth house, we see creativity in and of itself. We see shininess, we see outwardness. But Scorpio asks us, where does this creativity come from? And how do we renew our creativity? Through shadow, through diving deep to purge, release, and to re-emerge with clarity and space. And in the clarity and space, there is room to create something new. A new reality, a new pattern. Freedom. And hopefully ascend into spirit so that we bridge both earth and spirit in our lives.
Scorpio also is about our ancestry. So our patterns, a lot of our patterns, a lot of our wounding comes from our lineage, right? Comes from our ancestry. What our ancestors did, including our moms, our grandmas, their grandmas, their grandmas, grandpas before them, really determines the boundaries of what we are able to do. And through our parents, through our direct primary caregivers, we learn almost everything in life. They are who paints our reality, their habits, their lineage. And so Scorpio is even about this ancestral lineage, clearing this ancestral lineage, clearing this ancestral patterning, and also connecting with the good of our ancestors because we all have good and we all have bad from our ancestors or we all have wounding from our ancestors. Interestingly enough, Scorpio rules the processes of elimination. And of course, that means that Scorpio rules the large intestine. It rules the cervix, which what is the cervix? It is the opening to the womb. It is the opening of the portal of life. Astrology and cyclical consciousness is so intelligent. It also rules the prostate. Scorpio asks us to truly acknowledge death so we can realize the beauty of now. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Your support of the Sacred Springs podcast means so much. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend or on your socials. That would be greatly appreciated. Also, follow or subscribe to this podcast wherever you listened so that you can be up to date on the most recent episodes. Thank you for tuning in and see you next time on the Sacred Springs podcast.